Hello, and welcome to Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We are going to hear stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here. This is going to be the last throwback episode that we do for the summer because I am off to just enjoy my family and enjoy the last about two weeks that I have left of summer and be at the pool, be at the beach, just try to relax, do some self-care time. So I'm really excited to reintroduce to you Laura Swanson. She is our guest in this episode, and she talks about her experience in doing cognitive behavioral therapy with kids. So first, let me just pause. If you do not know what cognitive behavioral therapy is, it is amazing, first of all. It's not a fix for everything. However, a lot of the issues that people come to social workers for can be helped with cognitive behavioral therapy. It is a way to break down how our thoughts and feelings impact our actions and behaviors. It breaks it down very simply, and it lets us really hone in on where we're struggling. Is it the thoughts that we're thinking to ourselves? Is it the feelings that we're experiencing because of those? Is it our interpretation? Or is it the actions that we're then doing, right? And being able to look at each piece of these to see where can we make some changes to to get to the goals that we set out to do, to get to the reason why, why someone's talking to the social worker in the first place, right? I go into detail on cognitive behavioral therapy with my colleague in the virtual course, The Clinical Essentials for the Future Therapist. So if this is an area that you that you might have heard about, maybe you're in your master's program or you just graduated with your master's, but you're still not quite sure about how to use it with clients, definitely, definitely get this course. The investment is $197. It is worth every penny. And if that is too much of a investment at once, you can even break it down into two payments via the website. And this course not only touches on cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's going to give you tools for the entire therapeutic process with your clients from assessment to doing documentation to doing therapy interventions and even a safe termination. So it's definitely a game changer if you are looking for more confidence and guidance around how to guide clients through the therapeutic process. The link is in the show notes. Definitely snag that. Additionally, um, if you're interested in learning more about CBT, Laura also has some resources that she's going to talk about in this episode, specifically working with children. So I hope that you enjoy this. Last little plug, if you are looking for a clinical supervisor, 
definitely check out risedirectory.com. It is a national directory of supervisors specifically for social workers. So make sure to check that out. So with all that out of the way, let's hop right into this episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. Welcome, Laura. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. I'm happy to be here. I love connecting with other podcasters because it's one of those things where where you just get it. You know how it mm-hmm. works. You know the flow. <laughs> yes, it makes it really fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I love your your podcast. I'm wondering, can you tell us a little bit first, before we get started about your podcast, like, who are you? What do you do? And how did you decide to start your own podcast? Oh, these are some great questions. Okay. So I'm Laura. I'm a therapist in New York City. Um, I was previously an outpatient mental health, and now I'm in a private practice, not my own. I joined one. Um, I started my podcast really is like an off branch of just the social work bubble brand itself, which was like my website. I had a blog at first that I started as an undergrad social work student because I'm like, hey, this is cool. I want to share all this awesome knowledge with other people and maybe other students. And, you know, as time went on, writing blogs and everything is great. And I still do that occasionally. But you know, I think podcasts just become more relevant. And to be honest, they're a little bit easier and less less work to do than having to write all the time. And so I started my podcast, I think in 2019 or 2020. And for the most part, I started it just on my own experiences, talking about like different things I would see in my work. A lot of it was focused on burnout, being in outpatient mental health, and now it's become a little bit more collaborative and bringing other social workers on and just sharing everyone's experiences so we can all grow together as social workers. Awesome. I love that. And I saw that you were recently ranked, was it number eight, seven? Yes, I, I think it was eight. So it's pretty good. Yes. Congratulations. Thank That's you. amazing. Yeah, I didn't even realize that was a thing until I think you sent it to me. Um, and I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm so grateful to to be able to talk to you today. And you have some really great tools that you have come up with on your, um, oh my gosh, what's, what's the word of the- my Etsy shop? Thank you. Yes, Mm -hmm. on your Etsy shop. I was on there looking and it inspired us for this topic today on how to do CBT with kids because Mm -hmm. that's an area that there are two areas that we know about, but not necessarily how to combine them together. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, can you can you kind of break it down? Like we'll start from the beginning first. What is CBT? Right. So CBT, short for cognitive behavior therapy, because as social workers, we love acronyms and shortening things. Um, And I like to think of it as like the triangle, right? We have our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors. And essentially we can see like when we're in a different situation, we have automatic thoughts that are triggered. What we think then can impact what we feel, what we feel impacts how we 
react and behave. Um, a lot of the times, like for example, if someone has anxiety or like social anxiety, so they're going into class and they have to public speak and do a presentation, they might think to themselves, I'm going to embarrass myself, I can't do this. That'll cause them to have anxiety and then maybe they call in sick and avoid doing the presentation. So the cycle kind of reinforces itself and part of CBT is being able to break down that cycle. So being able to change the thoughts that cause maybe uncomfortable feelings and also being able to change the behavior, whether that's through coping skills, whether that's through not avoiding things, and then we're able to really just live a better quality life. It's so powerful and especially when you can teach people and kids how to do that at a young age. Mm -hmm. it's I mean it's so important because especially kids they deal with feelings that they don't even understand all of a sudden they just like feel these things and I think a lot of the times it can come across as anger or just like intense emotions and there's like little humans that don't know what to do and so being able to teach these skills can be so powerful and really impact them as adults like they're the ones that'll come up in generations to come and raise their own kids and we can really change generational issues by just education. For sure and then once we educate them then they can also begin to help their friends and be that listening ear and just and go from there and like you said I mean we're breaking generational cycles because those little humans grew up to be big humans that still don't have the words for how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then we just get really angry people all the time that maybe don't make the best decisions and have difficult relationships and potentially their own mental health concerns have worsened because it was never addressed. Yep. Yep. So true. Uh, so what types of issues can CBT help to address? Like what is, what does the research say um, mm -hmm. that it, it really helps? Yeah, I think this is why I love CBT so much is because it, it does a lot. I mean, it really helps a lot of people with a lot of different issues. Primarily, I see a lot of anxiety and depression, and I know those are the two biggest things, um, but it can help with um, substance use disorders, with eating disorders, um, with OCD, um, and a big part is trauma. So there's kind of an offshoot of CBT, which is trauma-focused cognitive behavior therapy, which is a little bit different. That's more focused on specific modules and, and helping kids process traumatic experiences. Um, but that's really powerful. It helps with self-esteem, um, bipolar disorders, sleep disorders, really anything where we have unhelpful thoughts, you know, that maybe perpetuate different behaviors and feelings, we can use CBT. Awesome. Do we need any kind of special certifications to use these techniques? No. So you can get certified in CBT, but it's not necessary. It's one of those things where like, if you'd like to have some extra letters at the end of your name, it's pretty cool. Um, and I know the Beck Institute, Aaron Beck was the one who founded CBT. And I think his whole family is kind of involved in the Beck Institute now. Um, but I actually, I think, used their book when I was in grad school because I specifically took a course on cognitive behavior therapy because I knew I wanted to be a clinical social worker um, and kind of specialize in that area. But for the most part, you just want to obviously practice within your area of expertise, take trainings. There are trainings out there, stay informed. Um, I have the cognitive behavior therapy like handbook by the Beck family. Um, and that was really helpful for me. And then through supervision and through really just honing in on that practice, I was able to get better at it. But a certification isn't necessary. 
Okay, good to know. So just we're able to have these tools in our toolbox to pull them out when we need to. Um, so can you kind of guide us through like what types of activities can we do to help children? Can you give us some examples of what you'd like to use in your work? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest thing, which is like the first step with anyone is understanding feelings, being able to identify what thing we're feeling and I guess the impact of it. Like I was talking about earlier, a lot of the times kids, like they have these emotions and they have no idea what they are. And I used to work in child welfare. I did my bachelor level internship at a child advocacy center. So we worked a lot with kids that had been um, survivors of child sexual abuse and trafficking. And for a lot of them, they had these intense feelings and they had no idea what they were. And it was very confusing because on one hand, especially like as they were being groomed by the people that abused them, they were told that they were feeling certain things that they weren't, or they were told that it was safe. And they were told that, you know, they were, they, that they were feeling good and that was okay. And so then in treatment, it's kind of like unraveling a lot of maybe what kids were taught that was not entirely accurate and just being able to identify what their feelings are beyond the sense of I'm mad I'm sad that's a great starting point but you know letting them see that feelings are a lot more diverse than just those things and that they're okay I've met a lot of kids especially with maybe some anger that they don't know what to do with that they're often punished for their anger and anger is a normal feeling like it's a fine feeling I love anger like you know it's just a normal thing that we experience now it's what we do with that anger that matters obviously there's rules to that um but I think really just practicing feelings and I love doing this mirroring activity when I worked with kids where it's like Simon says, but with feelings and we would just make faces at each other. And so we'd go from like smiley face to angry face. And by the end, we were both laughing and it was a really good um, practice for them to understand how to identify emotions and how to express them themselves. So what, wait, tell me about this, Simon says, how does yeah. that work? Um, so, I mean, I would really just sit across from a kid and a lot of the times I'd have them lead the way and they would like shout out a face and we'd have to make the face or they would just make the face themselves and I'd have to copy them and eventually became very, very silly very quickly. <laughs> and all of a sudden we were making all these goofy faces and for them, it was a good practice to really see, um, how to express themselves, you know, and like, if I were to say, okay, let's see your happy face. Sometimes they showed me an angry face <laughs> and we were able to kind of work through that and maybe redefine like what a happy face is. So it's a, it's a fun activity. I think that's the key thing with working with kids is you gotta make it fun. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, playing games, I used to play therapy a lot. I kind of combined it with CBT because I think that's really the only way to work with a kid, especially the younger they are. Um, and to make it fun, you know, CBT doesn't have to be complicated. It can just be like, you know, playing games. Um, I tried to have like costumes and dress up because I, I love it. I love using kids' imaginations because they're so great and they have so many creative ideas and they're really just a plethora of imagination. So being able to use that in session and, you know, exploring a princess and a dragon and all of these different things, that in itself shows, I guess, what things they value, you know, and what emotions are important to them and what things maybe they're seeing a lot that's um, important to see. 
Yeah. And I imagine that could be really powerful for someone, especially if they're in a place where they don't feel like they can be themselves or they don't feel like they're being listened to or heard. And then to have that space with you and, you know, with other social workers to where they can just play, they can just be themselves. They can be spontaneous. They can um, act how they want. It, it seems like it would be such a freeing experience to even just have that little bit of time every week to, to just be themselves and to like discover who that is. Like, who do they want to be? Who do they, what do they like? What do they talk about when given the chance? Absolutely. I mean, for kids, so much of their life is dictated to them. And I, I just love using empowerment because I think so often kids' voices and needs are not heard or they're ignored. Maybe they're seen, but they're not, not listened to. And so for me, it was important to create that space where they really could just be free. You know, I even... Um, with some older kids I was working with. They love Roblox, they love video games. And I was a little apprehensive at first because I'm like, can you really play video games in therapy? <laughs> I don't know, but I did. And I like, they, I had them use my computer. They showed me their Roblox account. And if anything, it was a really good practice of like setting boundaries with people. And like, if another user said something hurtful, like, how do we deal with that? Like, what can we say? Um, what did that make you feel? Because you're also doing these things that kids take home, like in real time. I think a big thing that we do is we often almost like idealize what kids experience and we don't make these skills actually practical for them to take home. So by me coming into like their Roblox with them, I was able to see what they spend most of their at-home time doing. And we were actually able to work through things that made sense for them. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you are enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to these ads from our sponsors. If you're planning to take the BBS Law and Ethics exam, the ASWB Master's or Clinical Licensure exam, or if you're studying for the MFT exam, then you need a proven program that can help you understand the exam questions and pass with confidence. If this is you, I highly recommend the Therapist Development Center. I personally use TDC to pass my law and ethics and clinical exams and found the program provided me with everything I needed to pass with confidence. TDC's program integrates various ways of learning in an organized fashion containing all of the information you need to pass without the overwhelm. And now bonus TDC is also offering a library of continuing education courses that fulfill your license renewal requirements and will support you in your career development. If this sounds like something that you need, visit their website, therapistdevelopmentcenter.com and use the code SWRISE10 at checkout to receive 10% off any of their CE courses including their brand new course, On the Edge of Life, an introduction to suicidality. You can also check out the link in the show notes. Yeah, that makes sense because while we, you and I, we may deal primarily with people in person or via tele, telephone or Zoom, they're, so much of their life, I imagine, is spent online and via text message and um, with other people. And so by 
and that's how they're learning how to interact socially. Yeah. And so by meeting them where they are, that has to be super powerful and, and validating like, oh, my therapist uh, played video games with me. Like she's cool. Now we can talk about anything. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> always want to be the cool therapist. Yes. With boundaries. Yeah. Of course. Always boundaries, always boundaries. Yes. And it's, I think it's so encouraging to kids though, because I mean, they have teachers, they have parents, there's always people telling them what they can and cannot do. And of course, like there's still boundaries and rules that we want to keep in session. Um, but for the most part, like giving them the power and control to make those decisions was just, I think, really eye-opening for kids to see that they had choice in their life. Right. Yeah, definitely. Are there any other activities or um, ways that you utilize CBT with, with kids? Yeah, um, I think a big focus is on coping skills. Um, that's something just like similar to feelings is kids have no idea what that means. <laughs> they have no idea what coping skills are, um, or even why we use them. And so a lot of the time sessions, which kind of would be like play therapy too, would be practicing these coping skills together. Um, I know a lot of, maybe not a lot, but some schools have started doing like yoga with kids. It's just part of like a practice, which I love. And I would try to bring that into some of our sessions together. And I've had some kids where we just did a simple yoga pose, like our like crisscross applesauce and just taking deep breaths. And there was one child in particular who like, we would start every session like that. And he would come in and he's, he's all set to go. And he already had it down as like our routine. We start off with a few minutes of like yoga and deep breathing. And I think that was, that was really powerful. Um, and then just other fun things, um, creating a safe space for kids. Um, CBT, I think focuses a lot on just making sure we have practical coping skills because, I know for some people, like kids at school, their coping skills are going to be different than maybe what they do at home. And so kind of getting into the nitty gritty of like what actually makes sense, because as the therapist, sometimes we come in with all these extravagant ideas, but it doesn't have to be that crazy, you know, like just working with the kid of like, okay, like what does your room look like? Like, where do you feel really safe at home? Maybe that's a space where you can calm down. Um, and then of course, I do like to work with parents when it makes sense, still keeping um, like the child's confidentiality because I think that's really valuable to them. But when I see a space to maybe bring parents in and support the child, because you know we can talk about coping skills and identifying feelings all day long in a therapy session. But if that's not respected at home, then our time together once a week isn't gonna matter. And so I think educating parents and supporting their journey as well is just as powerful as working with the child. Yeah, and that makes complete sense to me because if you're teaching the child these skills, chances are the parents don't know the skills either. Very true. And yeah. so if we're trying to do anger management or at least bring awareness, like, okay, this is what it looks like when I'm angry, this is how I behave, uh, these are the actions, and chances are they're mimicking the parents. Mm -hmm. So being able to, to have that contact with the parents. And then if they have other siblings, then the parents can then be the leader and help help the other kids as well, too. Mm, absolutely. And that's where I think that real generational change comes into is really through working with one child, you can change an entire family, you know, and then through that, I mean, it's really like a domino effect. So it can be really powerful. And I mean... I think really what I love about CBT is that it's empowering, you know, that kids really see 
these aren't just like crazy emotions that are just going wild. Like they have control over them and they can have control over their life and their experience and how they respond to other people. And it can be really special to see that growth happen. Yeah, for sure. And I imagine too, that they're also able to then see patterns. Is that right? So, so if something, if something's happening at school and you point out the CBT, you know, flow, I guess you will, then being able to recognize, oh, you know, when, when this happens, I get triggered and I get mad Mm -hmm. and then they, but eventually, hopefully they could stop that that flow. I don't know if I'm making sense. <laughs> yeah, you are. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it's changing the cycle, right? We kind of talked about that triangle of CBT, the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And I think the more you kind of talk about different situations, I'd have, I'd just break it down with kids saying like, oh, like what happened that made you upset? And just through that conversation, we start to identify those patterns and those cycles coming out. And then eventually they're able to do it themselves and they're able to see, okay, let me use some coping skills or use my words in a helpful way. And especially when we're talking about changing behavior, like when kids are feeling angry, I loved to do stop, think, do. And for one child, we would literally like do a little dance and we'd go like, stop <laughs> and think, and then like do something that's helpful. And so just really just making it fun. I mean, kids love fun things and that in itself builds rapport and the therapeutic relationship is the most powerful tool you have in any kind of therapy. And so being that safe space for kids. Definitely. What would you say is the minimum age or um, the youngest age that you that this would be helpful with? Yeah, um, I think the youngest client I've done CBT with was five. Um, and even then, it was still mostly feeling based and like play therapy based. So a lot of it wasn't so much like pointing out the patterns and pointing out like the cycle, things like that, that they would just not understand at all. It was really just like, um, like those feeling faces games, making sure um, they understood what feelings were and also like having rules to our feelings. So a lot of it was mostly identifying feelings and then coping skills to help us deal with those feelings. Um, and then we use play therapy to kind of put it into practice, you know, like if they, we play a game and they're losing, you know, all right, maybe let's take some deep breaths. Or um, I know a lot of people like the pinwheels for deep breathing um, or blowing bubbles, you know, making deep breathing a little bit more fun. <laughs> um, so that's always helpful. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so where can we learn more about the tools uh, that you mentioned? I know that you have a Etsy shop, what kind of things can we find on there and and why would we, or how would we use them? Yeah, absolutely. So my Etsy shop is etsy.com slash shop slash the social work bubble. Um, I have a lot of resources on there. I actually have specifically, I made a bundle. I think it's like a 16 page CBT bundle specifically for kids. Um, so in there, it kind of has First, the overview of what CBT is. It has the little triangle with thoughts, feelings, and behavior, and then it just breaks down activities. So there's a section based on identifying feelings, um, understanding where we feel the feelings in our body, because that can help kids understand what they're experiencing. Um, There's a section on thoughts, you know, like what goes through your mind when you feel really angry? Or when you see this person, like what do you think about them? Because that kind of introduces that piece of being able to change our thoughts to be more helpful. Um, And then there's kind of a space where 
you can work with kids on coping skills, um, learning different coping skills that can really help them thrive, and almost like tracking their own experience. So like if they had a bad day, um, helping them describe what happens, like that trigger, that thought, that feeling, and then maybe a helpful coping skill. So I think it's a really condensed um, version of some of my other worksheets I offer um, as like a kind of one, one hit bundle that you can use to, to help kids in practice. Um, and there's a lot of other things on there. Um, I do a lot of like play therapy things. We also have the anger iceberg, which I just use all the time. I think it's such a great tool because we think of anger as an iceberg, right? We see the anger, um, but a lot of the times underneath the surface, there's a lot of other feelings going on. I think for kids, that's something that's often misunderstood is we all just see like angry kids or violent kids. And it's kind of like, no, 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 like there's something else going on here that's not being addressed. Um, so there's a lot more tools there, but I also do have an anger play therapy workbook for kids. If you're specifically working with kids that have, um, like anger issues, but again, that goes into deeper feelings and more helpful coping skills. So that's awesome. So all of these things are really going to be instrumental in helping kids identify or increase their emotional intelligence, which is a super important leadership skill. Um, I'm wondering, are these tools or is the, are the bundles specifically designed for mental health professionals? Or do you think that if a parent or a teacher bought the bundle that they would also be able to use it with their kid? They would also be able to use them. So I kind of designed things, making sure I have like the instructions and really spelling things out um, just to make sure like a lot of people don't have access to mental health treatment. And I want to make sure parents and teachers can also use these resources and they don't have to have a license in social work to understand how to practice this. Because these are like, I think, basic skills everyone should have access to understanding. Yeah. Awesome. That's exciting. I'll, I'll share it with my mom. She's a teacher. So oh, um, I know she'll love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Laura. Where can people connect with you? Um, so you can connect with me on Instagram at socialworkbub. Um, I mentioned my Etsy shop and I also have my website, the socialworkbubble.com. That's kind of like the hub of everything. You can find my blog, you can find my podcast, you can I also do tutoring for the licensing exam. So it's all there. You're a busy woman. Yes, I am. <laughs> we love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you love this episode, be sure to subscribe and text this episode to a friend. If you want more, there are a few ways we can get to know each other and work together. First, definitely subscribe to the Friday resource email list. The link is in the show notes. And that's where you can learn more about the courses I offer, including clinical essentials for the future therapist and the Pulse Basics for Medical Social Workers. I'll also be sending out occasional tips and resources and other happenings within the social work industry. And for all your clinical supervision needs, be sure to visit risedirectory.com. This is a national directory of clinical supervisors for social workers, and we also provide free resources 
that you can use within your own clinical supervision. Lastly, if you have more individualized needs, I do offer coaching, individual consultations, and am available for public speaking engagements for social workers and change makers. Lastly, the boring legal stuff, but very important. The information in this podcast is not meant to be a supplement for therapy, professional advice, or clinical supervision. This content is provided as is solely for informational purposes. It is not legal, health, or safety advice. I am not advising you as a therapist. Organizations should engage their own experts to ensure any adoptive measures are compliant with applicable laws and standards in their jurisdictions. The opinions expressed by individuals or organizations are their own and do not reflect the views or opinions of Social Workers Rise or Catherine Moore. References to specific products or organizations do not constitute any endorsement or recommendations by Social Workers Rise.